a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 24. As Bo just said, we've been doing a little deal on the end times, and really the question we're asking is, uh, is this, are we living in the end times, the last days, and if we are, does it really matter? And kind of my point through the whole thing is, Jesus just said we're, says we're supposed to be ready. We talked about that the first day. He says... We need to be ready for whatever happens. And so what we're trying to talk about is how do we live ready? How do we get ready? And then how do we live ready? We talked uh, last week, we kind of looked at the seven seals in Revelation. And I said I felt like we were living in between when the fifth one had been opened and the sixth one had not been opened. I felt like that, feel like that's where we are in terms of timing. And we talked some, as Bo said, about the great... Tribulation, and that word means squeezing. We talked about what does it mean to be squeezed, and just so we're all on the same page, um, my opinion and my understanding of Scripture is that Christians will be here during that time. We're not going to get transported to heaven um, before the tribulation. You can disagree with that. We've said before you don't have to agree with me on all of those points, but you'd be wrong. So... Uh, I can give you my case later. We don't have time today. So anyway, last week we talked about having deep roots so that when we are squeezed, the stuff that comes out of us is actually stuff that we want to come out of us. And today we're going to look at what to me is really probably the most important thing we can talk about, which is deception and how do do you determine if something's real. I have some pictures here I want to show you. And all of these pictures, I just, with the caption, I just want hands real quick if you think it's true. If your hand doesn't go up, I'm going to assume you think it's false. Let me step over here so y'all can see. True or false? Is this genuine picture or fake? Genuine, raise your hand. It is genuine. Go to the next one, please. Genuine, yes or no? Genuine? Yes. Some of y'all are very skeptical. Next. Square watermelons, yes or no? Genuine? It is genuine. Those are square watermelons. Let's see the next one. Those are fraternal twins. Y'all know what that means. Fraternal twins, yes or no, genuine. That is genuine. I can tell you why later. Next. All right, this is gross. I should have told you beforehand, I forgot. That's corset piercing, so she's getting pierced in her back and then they tie her up. Genuine or not? Genuine. That is genuine. Any of y'all have that done? A couple of y'all. Okay, next. All right, that's a grizzly bear attacking golfers as they're on the green. Genuine or not? Genuine. That is genuine. The next one. That's a 17-pound bunny rabbit. Genuine or not? Genuine. That is genuine. Next. That's a cat born with one eye. That's gross too. I forgot. Genuine or not? Genuine. That is genuine. Don't feel sorry for you. Still up. Woman with a massive cat. Genuine or not? Genuine. That is genuine. Let's see the next one. That's a catfish with a basketball in its mouth. Genuine or not? Genuine? That is genuine. Y'all keep playing the game now. That puppy was born that way. That's not... Oh, that makes you feel better about the one-eyed cat, doesn't it? So, Genuine or not? Genuine. Oh, everybody loves puppies. That is genuine. Next. All right, that's a guy in a kayak being tracked by a great white shark. Genuine or not? Genuine? That is genuine. I don't know what happened to the guy. Next. Guy with a big cat. Genuine or not? Genuine. That one is not. That's all. 
I was trying to set y'all up so you would all, since they were all true, I thought by the end y'all would all just be saying, yeah, they're true, but y'all didn't go for it. Y'all are more discerning than I thought. This is Matthew 24. For then there will be great distress. We said that word distress, that is tribulation, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. Like I said earlier, to me, this is one of the most important things we can talk about. Jesus very clearly says that as we approach the end, there will be all these false Christs, whatever that means, and false prophets, whatever that means. And there's another place that talks about false teachers that will be among us and will deceive, it says, even the elect, if that were possible. And I actually happen to think it is possible to delete, to deceive the elect. The elect are people who are following Jesus. And uh, when you become a Christian, Jesus says the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside inside of you. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he guides us into truth. So it's kind of like you have a built-in truth-slash-lie detector in your heart when you become a Christian. So you are not destined to be deceived if you are a Christian. I would say if you're not a Christian, chances are not great that you're not going to be deceived. Not because you're stupid at all, but it's because you don't have this compass in your heart to really help direct you when it comes to spiritual truth. Penny Harrison is our children's pastor. She said this morning she heard a quote, discernment is less about determining, discerning right from wrong and more about judging between right and almost right. And that's really what we're talking about. The best deceptions are the ones that are almost right. They're 90% true. If somebody walks in the door and they have 666 tattooed to their forehead, you're probably not going to listen to them. That's not what the Antichrist is going to look like. It's 90% true. That's the stuff that throws us. And if you don't have that kind of truth slash lie detector in your heart, it's going to be very difficult for you to discern what is true and what is not. The reason so many people are deceived is because the deception is so good. Jesus says in John 8:44 that uh, Satan is the father of lies and that when he lies, he's speaking his native tongue. That to me means Satan is the originator of all lies and he is a master at lying. He's very, very good at it. He's smarter than we are and better than, at deceiving than we sometimes give him credit for. And so we need to be alert. We need to know what is true and what is not true. I kind of see Satan with a two-pronged strategy to destroy humanity. The first is to deceive us. And then the second is to destroy the people he can't deceive. The first thing he tries to, to do is deceive. And if he can't deceive you, then he tries to destroy you. We talked a little bit last week about the Great Tribulation. That's him trying to destroy people. That's persecution, that's violence, all of those things. We'll talk about that a little bit more today. But before he gets to that point, he first tries to deceive us. Um, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I don't think Satan cares what you believe, as long as you don't believe the truth. Jesus says he's the truth. Satan doesn't care what you believe, as long as you don't believe in Jesus. Anything else will do. If he can't deceive you, then he will try to destroy you. 1 Peter 5.8, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He doesn't devour people he's deceived. They're kind of already on his team, not wittingly maybe, but they're, they're already kind of following his plan, which leads to their ultimate 
destruction. So here in Matthew 24, Jesus says there's going to be all these false, these fakers who are going to come along, who are going to deceive many. And again, I think it's possible for all of us to be deceived. Even as Christians, we have this kind of truth slash lie detector in our heart. Our problem is a lot of times we ignore him when he speaks to us. And over time, you ignore him long enough, you quit recognizing his voice. And that leads you further and further into deception. So we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to uh, be discerning. But first, we're going to dive into this, some of this nastiness in Revelation. This is Revelation 12. We're going to read a, a chunk of it. This, to me, is kind of the trickiest two chapters in the whole book. You might disagree. I'm just going to walk through this real quick. This is Revelation 12. I'm going to read just a, several different chunks, starting in verse 1. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God into his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. That, to me, those first five verses kind of put six over here for a while. The first five are like, that's the cliff notes of Jesus. That's... The woman is the people of God, not, not Jews in the Old Testament, not Christians in the New, but the people of God throughout time, everyone who's put their faith and trust in the Lord. So that comprises both. The people of God, the male child is Jesus who was born, and the dragon is Satan. And so you have this picture that Jesus is born, this dragon, Satan, tries to kill Jesus, and it doesn't happen, and Jesus is taken up to heaven. So that's the cliff notes of Jesus' life. All of that stuff, 12, 1 through 5, has already happened. That's all in the past. Everything else we talk about has not, in my opinion, happened yet. I'm going to read another chunk, starting in verse 7. And there was a war in heaven. Michael, who is an angel, and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. There's a picture there of this cosmic battle in heaven. My opinion, all of this has yet to take place. This, I don't know kind of where you stand on this. In my opinion, and I think it's scriptural, Satan still has access to God in heaven. You can go back and read Job 1 and 2, and there's this picture of Satan in this kind of council of heaven where he's talking to God about Job. You can go and look in Luke, I think it's 22:31, where Jesus says to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Who's he asked? He's asked God to sift Peter. Actually, it's y'all to sift the disciples like wheat. So there's some sense in which Satan, even now, has access to this kind of, and kind of in my view, it looks like a courtroom. And God is the judge, and Satan here we read is the accuser of us, of Christians. So he's like a prosecuting attorney, and he is, we're on trial. And he is accusing us, 
before God the judge. And basically what he's saying, if you go back and read Job and you read what he says about the disciples in Luke, he's basically saying that the reason we're following God is because God's bought us off. He's either given us a lot of good stuff, that's Job, or he's kept us from a lot of bad stuff, that's the disciples. And what Satan is saying is, if you take away those things, if they either have to, if they have to experience trial in some way, they're bailing on you. They're bought. They don't love you because they love you. They love you because you're good to them. So that's kind of this accusation that's going on. That's not what we're talking about today. I'm just, the point is, Satan still has access to God. In my opinion, this section we just read has not happened yet. Satan has not finally been kicked out of heaven. Ultimately, he's, something has happened. You can read that. I think it's in Ezekiel 28. I think that's right. Um, where Satan, it talks about him kind of falling. And there is a falling there, but it's not this. This has not happened again, in my opinion. Here's the next chunk. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman. The woman, remember, which said was the people of God who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Let me stop right here. Earlier, we, we read in verse 6, the woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God for 1,260 days. 1,260 days is the same as 42 months, is the same as three and a half years, is the same as a time, what does it say? Time, times, and half a time. All of that is the same. So all that is the same time period. So this woman, that's the people of God are in some desert somewhere. Then from his mouth, the, certain spew, the serpent spewed water like a river, to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing up the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's command and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. That's a tongue twister. So, this to me is also all future. Satan's kicked out of heaven. He's on earth in some sense. I don't know what that looks like. And he's ticked off. He knows his time is short. He knows he can't get to Jesus. And so he goes after the church. He goes after the people of God. You see that? He goes after those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony of Jesus. I think all of this is in the future. And the time period is this 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years, time, times, and half a time. I don't know if that's a literal 42 months or not. I'm not going to get into that. A lot of the numbers in Revelation are symbolic. A lot of people say that just means some definite time that's short. I don't know. But I do know what's important to me, and we talked about this last week, about kind of how God protects us through this, is in verse 6, we read that this woman, who is us, will be taken care of by God for 1,260 days. So the amount of time that we're taken care of is the same as the amount of time that Satan is ticked off and trying to destroy us. That's good news. So God protects us through that. We talked last week about how God seals us through things, doesn't necessarily remove us from things. Remember we talked about the Hebrews in Egypt and how they had the plagues, and they they lived through that. God didn't take them out of Egypt before the ten plagues. He sealed them through that. Y'all remember that from last week. Okay, now it's where it gets really um, hairy. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. 
One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. There's that same time frame again. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth. You remember last week we said inhabitants of the earth in Revelation is a technical term for people who aren't following Jesus. So all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the land that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. So this is a picture of the Antichrist. Y'all got that. He, in my opinion, we don't know who that is at this point. Let me read this last section and then we'll go back and talk about these beasts. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. All right, this is graduate-level stuff here. When it, one of the trickiest things about Revelation is trying to identify who is this beast out of the sea and who is this beast out of the earth. And I'll just say straight up, I have no idea. There are lots of theories. I'll give you some popular ones. One is that the beast out of the earth, that's also the Antichrist, was a guy named Nero who was an emperor of Rome back in like the 60s. And he was a bad guy for sure. He persecuted Christians. He was also somewhat crazy. And kind of the case for that, in Hebrew, there's something called gematria. I don't know how you say it. It's G-E-M-A-T-R-I-A. And it's numerology where the consonants in Hebrew are given numerical value. The Hebrew spelling of Nero's name, if you add up those consonants, is 666. So that would be something in favor of Nero. And if you look at the setting of Revelation, remember it was written to seven churches. Those are the first three chapters. It was written to, to people, to real Christians and who lived during this time and were trying to get something out of it. There was a legend that Nero who died and was going to be reincarnated. And during the time Revelation was written, there was a guy named Diocletian who was the emperor, and he was as nutty as Nero was and also persecuted Christians. So there could be something there if you want to go that route. Another one, no offense to anyone here, that's kind of still floating around and has been popular through the centuries, is that the Antichrist is the Pope. And that it's the, the Catholic Church. I think that one is pretty ridiculous, but you can see it especially during the time of the Reformation. The Catholic Church does have some bad spots in its history, and you can make some parallels and some correlations. And So when the Reformers were kind of... Uh, 
reforming, I guess, is what they were doing. They considered the Catholic Church, that's one of the things they did to kind of demonize the Catholic Church. And then the Catholic Church turned around and said the reformers were the Antichrist, so I guess we're even on that. So you can, I don't buy that at all, but there's stuff out there. Another one, depending on your political persuasion, is that George Bush is the Antichrist. There's a website called georgebushisantichrist.com, and this guy has spent a lot and a lot of time tying George Bush's name to the number 666. So it's silly. But you, or, again, depending on your political persuasion, there's also a website that says Barack Obama is the Antichrist. So you can decide which one of those two, depending on how you're going to vote, is I, my opinion is we, we don't know. We don't know who it is. I don't know if they, I don't think the Antichrist is operating in the world today. I don't know if that person is alive. I don't know. Maybe he's a toddler. I don't know. But I don't think he's active on the world stage. I don't think it's the Catholic Church and the Pope. Uh, I think there's something to be said for this Nero thing. But I think if you look, Throughout history, there have been people who you would say, yeah, Stalin, yes, Hitler, yes. There have been people who you would look at and say, they follow in the mold of the Antichrist. I don't think they ultimately are the Antichrist with a capital A. 1 John 2.18 says, many Antichrists have already entered the world. So there's this sense in which there's kind of a pool of Antichrists, and ultimately there's going to be the big fish with a capital A. I don't think we've seen that one, and that is who John is talking about here in Revelation 13. So here's my theory. Take it for what it's worth. The descriptions of the dragon and the beast out of the earth and the beast out of the sea. The beast out of the earth is the Antichrist. In second, uh, no, I think it's First Thessalonians 2, he's referred to as the man of lawlessness. In Daniel 7, he's referred to as the little horn. And in Daniel 11, this, the last part of that chapter, 36 through 45, he's referred to as the king of the north. So that all is talking about the same person. That is the, the Antichrist. That person, the Antichrist, and the, the beast out of the sea, no, the beast out of the earth, excuse me, is the false prophet. You see that later in Revelation. It's called the false prophet. I think all three of those guys are described in Revelation deliberately as a parody on the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they serve as this unholy trinity that at the end of time will call a church together. And the church is the inhabitants of the world who worship the beast. And if you look through Revelation, you can see how the Antichrist, this unholy trinity, the dragon who's Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, how they function in ways that are perversions of the way the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit function. The Antichrist is said, the guy who seems to have a wound, a fatal wound that was healed. Well, Jesus actually did have a fatal wound and was resurrected from the dead. The false prophet is said to deceive people and lead to worship of the beast. The role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. The false prophet works these miracles and these signs and calls fire down from heaven. The way Jesus and Christians today, um, when miraculous things happen among us, when signs are performed, it's because of the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, he, the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples as tongues of fire. You can see this deceptive nature of the false prophet. He looked like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. It's set up against the Holy Spirit, who is truth, and guides people into all truth. So you can see these two things. In my opinion, and I think it, it bears out here, the Antichrist will be a political figure. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks when we look at Babylon. I think it, I, I don't know who, but there, it will be a political figure. And the Antichrist is described here as a beast. That refers to, or 
kind of harkens back to Daniel 7, where Daniel has this vision of these four beasts that are all political kingdoms. And the Antichrist is a combination of all of those kingdoms. And so that shows me that he is, he will be political, and I do think there will be an individual. Some people think that the Antichrist is more like a world system of government. And I would say it's an individual if for no other reason this idea of 666 points to somebody's name. And then the, the other passages that we referenced where the Antichrist is seen as one particular man. I think the false prophet will not be political. I made a joke about three or four years ago that Oprah might be the Antichrist. I don't think that she's the Antichrist. I do think somebody like her could be the false prophet. Not her necessarily, but somebody like that who has sway over tons of people and gets them pointed in a certain direction. That's what the false prophet does. I don't think the false prophet will be a political uh, person necessarily, but someone who has more kind of a spiritual or religious figure who's able to point people to worship this beast. I don't know who that is. I don't know what that looks like, but that would be my opinion. Some charismatic personality who's able to point people spiritually and religiously towards the Antichrist. Nobody go out of here and email Oprah and said I said she was... That's not what I'm talking about, but you get the picture. The Antichrist is a political figure. The false prophet, in my opinion, is not... I don't think... I don't know who those folks are. I don't think they're operating in the world today. I do think we'll need to be ready when they do. So then the question for us is, so what? If, if that stuff hasn't happened, if we haven't gotten to verse 7 where there's war in heaven and Satan is kicked out, can't we just hang on and hope that we're dead before any of that stuff goes down? Which I do hope a lot of times for myself. And I think that's okay. Um, but what about us and what does that have to do with our life here? And I would say this, we've said this before. The things that happen at the end are the same as the things that happen now. They just, there's just an increase in intensity. You can make a case that since Jesus has been resurrected, every day since then is the last days. We currently are living in the last days. We're just not living in the final portion of those that we read about in Revelation. Because Jesus can come back. His return is imminent in the sense of being near. A lot of the things that have to happen in order for him to come back have already happened, namely that he's gone to heaven already. So there is, and the the characteristics that we see in Revelation, we also see here in our world today. We talked last week. We're not living in a great tribulation where we're persecuted, but we definitely all feel squeezed at different times. We're not squeezed the way that we read about here in Revelation, but we're still squeezed. And God expects the same thing of us now that he will expect of whoever is alive then. And the same thing is true when it comes to deception. The deception might not be um, as pervasive as it will be during this last period of time on earth, but there's still a lot of it going on. And if you look, the description of the beast, when um, it's, I think, verses 5 and 6, and then 7 and 8, you can see in verses 5 and 6, the Antichrist, the first thing he's going to do, he's given a mouth to blaspheme and to slander. The first thing he does is deceive. Then in verse 7 and 8, we read about him persecuting Christians. It's deceive and then destroy. The pattern is the same throughout Scripture. First, Satan tries to deceive us, and if he can't deceive us, then he tries to wipe us out. He tries to intimidate us into turning our back on the Lord. So what about us? I say, we, just like we would need to be discerning then, we need to be discerning now. We need to be able to tell what is true and what isn't true. This is 1 Thessalonians 5. Don't put out the Spirit's 
fire. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. I think that's the word for us. Test everything. Hold on to everything that is good. That idea of holding on is cling to. Test everything. Cling to everything that is good. And just like we need to do that now, whoever's alive during that last stretch of time is going to have to do the same thing. This idea of testing runs throughout the New Testament. We're told to test people who want to be leaders in the church. We're told to test our love. We're told to test our own motives and our own hearts. Throughout the New Testament, you'll see this command. Paul, Jesus, Jude, all these guys uh, who wrote letters, Peter, say, test, test, test. Sometimes I think we're afraid to test things because Jesus says don't judge. Jesus says don't judge or you're going to be judged. We're going to be judged anyway, so not judging doesn't keep you from that. What Jesus is talking about is how we judge, and we'll talk about that in a second. But sometimes we're afraid to test, particularly spiritual things, because we don't want to judge. But again, the Bible to me is very clear. We're supposed to. Some people will say, well, if you test, you're quenching the Spirit. You maybe have heard that if you run in circles where people talk about that. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. You're quenching the Spirit. You're putting out the Spirit's fire when you test things. Testing doesn't put out the Spirit's fire. Disobedience puts out the Spirit's fire. And the Bible very clearly says test. So if you're not, you run a greater risk of quenching the Spirit than if you do. So how do we test? Matthew 7. It'll be up on the screen. I know this is a lot of info. This is Jesus talking. If I can flip there. Verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. There are those guys again. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, what's interesting, the people who say, do not judge, that's Matthew 7, 1 through 5. You can go back and read that. We don't have time. This is part of the same sermon where Jesus is saying, judge. So he can't mean, don't, he's not schizophrenic. He remembered what he just said. So the command not to judge can't mean, don't judge. Because... Three paragraphs later, he says, judge, discern, test. You'll know them by their fruit. The idea of not judging has to do with how we judge. We're not to judge hypocritically. That's the, you have a a speck of sawdust in your eye, and I've got a big plank in mine. The question is not whether I should judge. It's let me get the plank out so I can see to take the speck out of your eye. It's not saying I shouldn't take, it doesn't say there's not a speck in your eye, and it doesn't say that speck should not be removed. It just says, if I've got a piece of wood in mind, I'm not going to be able to help you very much. That's it. The command not to judge is not to judge hypocritically and not to judge self-righteously. So don't let people say, don't judge. That's not what Jesus meant. With the measure that we use, it will be measured back to us. So we want to judge in the way we will be judged, which is with grace and with truth. That's that. 
Not, and we will be, so whatever. That's enough of that. So test. How do we test? We test by discerning fruit. Fruit are results. You know that. Apple trees produce apples. Those are the results of an apple tree. So that's what we're looking at. We're looking at results. What do you see? Now, this is where it gets tricky because all these fakers produce signs and miracles and these uh, they drive out demons. They're doing stuff that looks really good. And that's where things get tricky. We're supposed to judge based on fruit, and their fruit looks good. And so that's where I think things can kind of get a little squishy. This is Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place and he says, let's follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let's worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to see whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. So what you have there is this picture. Someone shows up, a prophet, and he says, this is going to happen. And then it actually happens. So there's fruit there. He made a correct prediction. And what Moses is saying is, if that dude who makes a correct prediction then says, let's worship other gods, don't listen to him. Because he didn't come from the Lord. You can't just look at ministry results. You can't just look at the 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 fruit in terms of what you see result-wise. The reason, in my opinion, so many people will be deceived is because the signs are going to look so good. Again, the fellows aren't going to have 666 tattooed to their forehead. They're not going to stand up and say, Jesus is a bum. That doesn't deceive anybody. At all. The signs, the miracles, the fruit is going to look really, really good on the outside. That's why, to me, it's so important, this next thing, that you look at character as well. That's another aspect of fruit. There's fruit in terms of just the raw results. And then there's fruit that's character. In my opinion, character is the only thing that can't be counterfeited. The one thing the enemy can't counterfeit is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He can fake everything else. We talked about um, the guys, the... Moses and Aaron last week, and they go to Pharaoh, and they're trying to get the Hebrews out, and they perform all these miracles. The, if the two, some of the Egyptian magicians were able to duplicate their signs. In Jude, they say their names are Janus and Jambres. If you ever saw that Disney movie um, out of, what was it called? Prince of Egypt. They have names in that, and those guys are in that movie. And some of the things they do are pretty impressive. Like Aaron throws down his snake, and it, I mean his staff, and it turns into a snake. And these guys do the same thing. Like, that's not nothing. Go take a stick and throw it down and let's see it become a snake. We just read, like, that's real power there. Can Anybody? They, Moses, you know, they bang the Nile with the staff and it turns to blood. And those guys do the same thing. That's a real deal there. Moses does, you know, says there are going to be frogs and they're frogs. And these guys, they do the same thing. They get the frogs too. You can go back and look. The first three signs, these Egyptian magicians match every one of them. If you wanted to study this, and there's not really any reason to, if you look in at uh, other world religions and other cults around the world, you will see everything you see in the Bible. You'll see people healed. You'll see people raised from the dead. You'll see people speak in other tongues. You'll see people predict the future. Everything you see in the Bible, you can find out there in places that don't have anything to do with Jesus. There's spiritual power that is accessible, and it's accessible in several different ways, really two. It's accessible through Jesus, 
and the Holy Spirit, and it's accessible through the enemy in all of the different ways that that looks. So just because something looks spiritual and something is happening doesn't mean that the source is the Lord. That's why you've got to look at character and not just stuff. And that kills us because we say, is that good? And the question is, does it work? That's what we really want to know. Does it work? And that validates whether things are good or not good. Is this the right thing to do? Does it work? That's all we want to know. That's kind of the push in our society to judge things is based on whether or not it works. Those of you who follow sports know this for sure. You can just about do anything you want to somebody, and if you can still throw a strike, you're going to get another chance because you work. If you can still run a 4-3, somebody is going to pay you to play football. It doesn't matter what you do, and we can give you example after example. Choke your coach, who cares? You can still shoot a jump shot. We're going to bring you on. There's a guy this week, a pitcher for the Houston Astros, who just jumped his general manager. And there was a debate over whether he'd get another shot. And they said, of course he's going to get another shot. He can pitch. Somebody's going to give him a shot once he's not suspended anymore. That's kind of the mentality of our society. Does it work? We don't care necessarily if it's good or if it's right. It matters if it works. And that is what I think the enemy will play on in these end times when it comes to these signs and wonders. He'll do things that work. And then whether or not it's right is going to get lost in the shuffle. It made my leg better. Who cares? I don't want to get too far off into even more offensive topics. But if you look at some of the things that are going on in the medical community, it doesn't matter if it's a what it doesn't matter if a fetus is a baby or not. It let's take the stem cells because it works over here. That's what it doesn't matter if this is right. It can fix these things over here. And we start blurring all kinds of lines because of what works. And that's what's going to get us. Most of us are never going to live in the time period where Satan is destroying, where we're persecuted for our faith. That would take radical event changes in the next few years for that to happen. I don't, maybe, I don't see that. Every one of us currently lives in the deceiving stage. And he's a master manipulator. And he's a master liar and a master deceiver. And one of the ways he deceives us is he convinces us that if it works, it must be good. Or if it works, it doesn't matter if it's good. And it does. If at some point a prophet comes and he predicts the future and he gets it right, but he says, let's follow other gods, don't listen to him. God is just testing you to see if you love him with your whole heart and with your whole soul. The best means of discernment is to know the truth. In Ephesians 5, our relationship with the Lord is pictured as a marriage. The best way, if you want a fair proof for your marriage, it's to cultivate a strong one. Avoiding temptation only gets you so far. Adultery starts in your heart. Avoiding temptation doesn't address the heart issues of why eventually you would stray. The same thing is true when it comes to discerning the truth. You can't know every fake that's out there, but you can know the real thing. When I was 18, I worked as a teller at a bank, which is a little bit of a humbling experience. So I'm a, I'm a teller, and we have two-week training before we go. 
And one day is going to be counterfeit money day. When they see a young teller, if someone's going to pass counterfeit money, that's who they're going to come to. So they're coming to me because I don't know anything. And so I think we're going to have this real big deal. This is a big bank. It was Wachovia. We're going to have this real big deal on how to tell counterfeit money. I'm a rule follower, so I'm nervous. Am I really going to remember all these things? I figure they're going to, you know, we're going to pull out a dollar bill, and they're going to show me all of the things that counterfeiters do. Look here, look here, look here. They don't do any of that. They bring us a fat stack of money, and they say, just start counting it. And they say, you'll know a fake because you'll feel the difference in a fake because you know what a real one feels like. Money's not really printed on paper. It's printed on cotton or something like that, which is really hard to duplicate. And they say, if you know the feel of a real dollar bill, you don't even have to look. You can tell with your eyes closed when you hold a fake. And the same thing is true when it comes to the truth. If you know Jesus, you'll, there'll be a feel there when there's something that's not him that comes along. That truth lie detector in your heart will start buzzing and saying, that's not right. And you might not be able to find the verse that says why it's not right. And it might look good because results are happening. Good things are happening. Good, maybe. It's working. But there'll be something in you that says, ugh, because you know the real thing. I've been married for 11 years. I've known my wife for 12. I know her voice when she calls me on the phone. You're not going to be able to fake me out if you try to be her. Some of you I've met once. You can fake me out all day long because I don't know your voice that well. If you know the truth well, then you'll know the fakes when they come along. And you don't have to bend over backwards and get all bent out of shape wondering, are you going to recognize every scheme that comes down the pipe? Are you going to recognize every twist? And, well, what's the Antichrist really going to do? And am I going to go for it? And it doesn't matter what 666 means. It doesn't matter to you if you know the truth. You're not going to go astray. And if you don't know the truth, you are. That's that. So if you want to be safe, if you want to be walk through these deceiving, deceptive times, the key is know the truth. And the truth is Jesus. He says, I am the truth, which is weird. How can a person be the truth? But that's what he says. Ultimately, there's only two, there's only two churches, ultimately. There's the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of the enemy. There's the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. That's it. At the end of time, that's what you see here. Everyone's either going to be worshiping Jesus or they're going to be worshiping the beast. All the, everything else, all the other distinctions that we have have been washed away. There's not Methodist and there's not Catholic and there's not Baptist and there's not Pentecostal and there's not Muslim and there's not Mormon and there's not Hindu. There's two. There's the church of the beast and there's the church of Jesus. And everyone's going to be in one or the other. And it doesn't matter if you're a Mormon or if you're a Muslim or if you're an atheist, if you're not following or Baptist, if you're not following Jesus, you're in the church of the beast. And if you are, then you're in the church of Jesus. So ultimately, again, Satan's the father of lies, and all lies originate with him. And it doesn't matter what those lies are. They all ultimately point back to him and keep people from the truth. For us, what we need to do is develop a deep enough relationship with the Lord. That's what we talked about last week, having deep roots, so that we'll know the truth, so that when you feel that fake bill, you just know. And you might not be able to show why it's counterfeit. And that doesn't really matter that much. You just know that it is. This is Philippians 1. I'm going to close with this. You can all take a deep breath.
This is what Paul says. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. We talked about that last week. That's the day when Jesus comes back, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So there you have Paul saying, this is the deal. If your love abounds more and more, you'll be able to discern what is true and what's just almost true. And that's where we want to get. No reason to be scared. No reason to be nervous. The Holy Spirit is much... The Holy Spirit is better at guiding you into truth than the enemy is at leading you astray. You just need to be sensitive to Him and the way He's leading you. Jesus is more able to keep us than the enemy is able to snatch us. We just need to know Him when we see Him. Let's pray.